I say to you, the Lord be with you. I want to talk today self-consciously about what we're doing when we come into this room. We call it corporate worship. The Lord be with you. Corporate worship, what is that? I'm gonna suggest this, that corporate worship is this action of people getting together to make God visible, to glorify him. Glorify has that idea of shining a spotlight on to make visible, to tell, to declare, to show up, to give form to. Corporate worship is this work we do together to do that. And notice that when we get together, we're not having to come up with ideas about God of our own making. He has revealed himself to us through the scriptures and through the life of Jesus so that fundamentally we're functioning like an echo or a mirror. We're holding back to God who he is as he's already shown himself to us. All worship is a response to what God has shown of himself. Why is it important for us to come week after week in this room to do this thing called worship, to show God? If we could see him as he was without any inhibition, without any filter, the answer would be self-evident. He is so glorious and great. It must be that we say so. It's necessary and right to do so and that should be enough to that question although some people sometimes say it bugs me that God in the scriptures commands his people to praise him makes him sound insecure like he needs a little bit of praise and let me say this very clearly that God delights in our praises not because he needs to be praised but because he delights in what is true God is not insecure, neither is he modestly false, false modest. He delights in what's true because true is good for the whole cosmos. Not only does he delight and call us to worship, not only should we worship because it's right, but because our joy and wholeness is to be found in this action. Here's what I mean. Do you notice that whenever you find something beautiful or 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 lovely or exciting that you need to say it out loud you ever been standing some somewhere and you go to a like a you know uh like i see a sunset and you're standing with somebody and you just look at that sunset and it's just amazing how many of you don't say anything i think most of us would say something like wow look at those colors look at the cloud is sitting over the horizon look at that gray look at that rose look at that magenta isn't that amazing? Isn't God an artist? Right? Anybody do that? How do you remain silent in the face of beauty? Because you see, what happens is, is that expressing beauty actually completes its joy. The expression of praise completes the encounter with something good and beautiful. Not only that, God knows that we are ever bent toward idolatry. All of us are always bent it and idolatry to put anything else in God's place as the number one 
focus of our worship because we're all worshiping something all the time. And if it's not God, then there's something, a seed of corrosion in us that will destroy us in the world that we live in. God calls us to worship because it's good for us, for our joy, for our wholeness, and because it's true and right. You might say, when I come to worship, hey, help me, am I supposed to like feel something or am I supposed to do something? Feel or do? What do you think? Yes. That's, Jane, thank you, that is the right answer. Whenever a teacher asks you to make a choice, you know they're leading you to say both. But in what order, and I think that's important, Psalm 43, verse 3 and 4, give us a, a pattern to understand this dynamic of worship that I think is very important. If you have your Bibles, you might uh, turn here or pull out that Bible in your pew. You can see this. Psalm 43, middle of your Bible, the book of songs, the book of worship, 43, verse 3 and 4 say this. Lord, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy and I will praise you with the lyre O God my God now I just want you to notice a progression that happens in these two simple verses begins with this Lord send out your light and your truth what did I just say was the purpose of corporate worship what what does it mean it means that we declare make visible show off God it all begins with this action of truth and light synonyms Somehow getting a picture of saying, declaring who God is. That's where it begins. What happens next in the psalm? That brings me to the holy hill. That brings me to encounter God. What happens next? When we encounter God, there is an experience of joy, and joy leads to music. Truth leads to encounter, leads to joy, leads to music. I love the progression. And it's important because of this principle. The principle of you can only control what you can control. Sometimes when we come to this room and it's time to worship and we started the song, open up the heavens, and you're just like, I don't feel nothing. <laughs> right? Is there, like, is there something wrong with me? I'm looking around the room and there's some people going like this and you're going, what's, like, what's up with me? So what do we tend to do? Peer pressure Right? We have to kind of get into the thing, but it's not coming from that place. Well, anybody else struggle with this? The kind of like, what do I do with my feelings when I get into this, this worship mode? Here's the progression. What can we do? We can declare what's true. We can say what's true. We can say that with our mouths and not worry about how we feel. Because to declare the truth and to hold that up is something that we can always do no matter what mood we're in, no matter where we've come from. We can do that. And then let the emotional response come out of the encounter as God will have it. And it might be a day, a day that his uh, encounter with us might call forth joy. It might be a day that it calls forth repentance or sadness or, or some other sort of emotion. We don't have to try to manufacture nothing. But we can do the work of picturing forth, declaring what is true about God. Which brings me to the topic of music. Why do we sing so much when we come into this room? Music has been, from the very beginning of the Judeo-Christian tradition, a part of what we do. And let me go back before that. Our God is a 
singing God. Zephaniah chapter 3, he sings over us with songs of joy. He's also a dancing God. That's a, that's a little part of the image of God I have not yet learned how to quite <laughs> do, but I, I, I sure like to watch it. God is a singing God, and we are a singing people. Here's a couple reasons why. First of all, singing is one of the most unique human experiences that combines all the whole personhood in one moment. Body, so we've got vocal cords, we've got breath. We've got mind centering on either the music or the lyrics. We've got that emotional engagement because music always calls that forth from us. We've got the spiritual element of entering into spiritual truths and interacting with our spirits. And we've got our will, choosing to participate or not. We've got body, emotion, mind, spirit, and will all intertwining in a single act that calls the whole body into this offering of declaring what's true about God. That's pretty cool. Also, it provides an experience of unity that is unique, meaning very few things can hold a big group like us all together in time and in space. I remember once I was driving on a bus in the back, and I was struck by the way that when the bus would hit a bump, all the heads would perfectly in unison. I go, that is so cool. I mean, if I said right now, shoot your head to the left and the right all together, one, two, three. That does not look like the bus that I saw. It's just not, because you need something to carry your unity. And music is an amazing tool by which that can be done. Hold diversity into unity, even when we go cross-culture to our safe house in a Southeast Asian country. I don't name it because we're on uh, the internet, but um, we went there and we helped them create a CD. And we didn't speak the same language with all these musicians, but we all got music. And we were just together. We were like cousins because we were so familiar with a shared language that music is. Music, who are we singing to when we sing? You might say, obviously, Jeff, we've come to sing to God, and that is absolutely true. Sing to the Lord a new song, says Psalm 93 and other psalms as well. But do you know there are other audiences in play when we're here in this room singing? I think there are five. God is primary. We're also singing, get this, to our own souls. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why are you in despair, O my soul? hope again in God we're singing to ourselves we're singing to the person sitting right next to you you might have a a brother or sister a believer that can't sing today because they're sad or struggling and you're going to sing truth to them and help lift them up we're singing to each other fourth we're singing to anybody who might come in where this is a public moment anybody could come in and and hear the church at work declaring the truth about who God is so our audience is the whole world in that context and It's very striking. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Very intriguing when we think about audiences watching the church at work. This is what it says here. Um, There's this mystery hidden for the ages that God, uh, in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There is an audience of spiritual beings, both good and evil, watching the church unfold the mystery of God. And some of that happens when we get together and sing 
our songs. There's also a whole dimension of warfare against those evil forces that praise does. Don't have time to get into that today, but that's also an intriguing pursuit of inquiry. But I I mentioned the five audiences to know that when we're singing, this is not just simple. There's a very complex action in play when we just sang, praise, praise the Father, praise the Son. God in heaven was listening and our own souls were waking up and we were saying something profound to each other. And I don't know if they could hear us out on Magnolia, but maybe they could. And the demons tremble and the angels wonder, wow, look at all these people made in God's image singing the truth of who our God is. Music is an amazing gift given to us. As much as it is an amazing gift, it also carries with it certain vulnerabilities. So much division in the church comes through the portal of music, interestingly enough. And here's why. Music is so profoundly meaningful to us. And here's why. It has a way to connect to deep parts of our soul at key moments in our lives. And don't, isn't it true that certain songs that you will never forget, songs that you love because they came into your life at just such a moment, like it was for me, the Commodores, you once, twice, three times a lady, came into my life on a drive when I was moving from L.A. to Washington. I was moving from ninth grade to the 10th grade. I had just left Hume Lake Camp where I had had a close encounter with Vicki Anderson, the girl I had a crush on all year. And I got a sense that maybe she liked me and I thought she liked my best friend Mike Romberger the whole time. And right now when the potential was this close, we were driving up to Tacoma, Washington and Lionel Richie came on the radio, you once, <laughs> twice. Now, I, I tell you that story because that song, turn it on in the radio and I am in angst. I am back. <laughs> Vicki Anderson, right? I, I, I tell you that story because, me, and that's kind of a funny story, but link it to our journey with God. Those moments of, of tender camp or tender places in church or childhood where a song and I have so many of those they become profoundly connected to us all all with profound experiences with different songs we get together and we have a chance to sing three what are the chances we're going to be able to hit those heart songs of the community and sometimes church can become annoying to us because we don't like the music, because they're not the heart songs that sing to us. What do we do about that? Romans 15 calls us, calls us to this act of worship that comes from a place of harmony. I love the musical metaphor there. A harmony that's rooted in the discipline of welcoming one another. Listen to Paul say it in his own words. Romans 15, he says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Two case studies, this difficulty of music and community. One is I've heard recently 
And I hear that commonly that some people get annoyed by repetition of a song. We did some repetition today quite on purpose. From Psalm 136, we said that his love endures forever 26 times. I'm not sure anybody would say they got annoyed by that because it was the Bible. (laughs) Jane led us in a song at the end where we found some lines and we stayed with them for a while. I was thinking about this thing about repetition. And I'll admit, sometimes I get annoyed by repetition. And I'm reflecting on that. What, What is happening there? Is there biblical precedent for it? Revelation chapter four, verse seven says, and the, the four living creatures around the throne cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come. And get this, they never cease day and night. Get ready for some big time repetition. <laughs> I'm just saying there's some precedent in the Bible for repetition, but what is it and what does it do let's go back to think for a moment about the audiences when we're singing someone once said to me god doesn't need to hear that a million times he heard it the first time yes he did but there's other audiences in play when we're singing and a lot of times i'm singing to myself and myself sometimes is so crusted over with dead skin and dullness from my week that i need to marinate in the simplest of truths and let that truth sink down and sometimes we learn things through something called meditation taking a simple idea and letting it layer by layer descend past our resistant minds to a place where we can receive it. There's a place. There's a place to linger sometimes in an experience that's not so much rooted in intellect. I shared this with my dad last week. And my dad said, that's helpful. Next time there's a song that's going on for a long time, I'm gonna remember that. And I share that with us to say sometimes if that's not touching your button, when there's a a song that's being repeated, know that it has a place in the canon of worship, a place of meditation, of sinking us down to simple truths that you think and I think we know, but we don't quite know. Do you really believe that his love endures forever? After singing it in that last song and saying it 26 times, it's one of the hardest things for us to truly believe. Now listen, if every song that we ever sang was a repetitive song, there would be a problem. Here's the truth. God is so multifaceted and so big that the worship of his church needs to include different textures, different genres, different sounds, different cultures, different ways of singing. God is worth that, that he's big enough for that. And there's case study two. I was talking to a friend about this this week. We're talking about hymns. And she was saying, you know, it's an interesting thing. We often talk about bringing back hymns. But worship leaders today, and by the way, I am one of the greatest uh, doers of this, love to take a hymn and redo it a little bit. Change a little bit of maybe the rhythm, melody, the setting, or add a chorus to it. And uh, I kind of love doing that because I grew up on hymns, and I love hymns. But my friend was sharing with me, but you know what happens for me sometimes is that we're about to do a hymn, I see the title on it, and then it comes out and it's a little different. And it's like that story where you get so close to your heart song, but it doesn't quite sound like it. Like, no, no, I kind of recognize you, but I kind of don't. Because those songs were linked in sound and the way they were sung at those moments in our lives where they meant so much to us. 
I heard an amen, that's right. And so I was tutored by my friend in remembering that the gift of taking an old hymn and doing it to a new setting can be a gift to a new generation to introduce that, 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 that wonderful song in a new setting. I think that's worthwhile. But we can't forget to do those old songs in the way they were done for the purpose of plucking the heartstring of those who loved those songs when they first heard them. Case study number two. The work before us as a church is complicated to come together, to use music, to call us into the declaration of the truths of God. But do you see how complicated of an affair it is? At the end of the day, the only way forward is for us to remember what our job is primarily, the theology of worship, to love one another in the practice, to welcome each other and all of our heart songs into the mix. And that is what we endeavor to do. I want to open up um, this reflection to you. Anybody have a question, a comment, a pushback, an agree or a disagree. This is something that we do in our morning 8 o'clock service. By the way, this, this, this morning was our last one. So we closed that particular era today. But that's one of the most meaningful things that we've done in that service is that we open it up for interaction. Katie has a microphone, and if there's a thought that strikes you, I know this is a room that's maybe not as easy to interact in a room like this with so many people, so that's okay. Nobody has anything to say. Makes my job a lot easier, and then we'll go on to the last song. But if you'd like to interact a little bit on something that struck you as I've been sharing, open mic. Any questions okay? Anything? Anything strike you? Hi, uh, Gary Chen. Uh, we've been worshiping about two years, and the only thing I would would uh, respond to is the Saturday event feels like it's for those that want to sing hymns in that traditional way, you have to come another time. I'm not taking a position on on my own preference, but I'm just saying that's what it feels like. So let me add, Gary, thank you for saying that. So we're going to have a hymn sing on this coming, uh, this coming Saturday at 6.30. And one of our designs in that is to say that is not to imply that we will then not do them here, but that we can never do enough of them in a common worship service where we're trying to do this, find our way through many styles. And so my thought is going forward, one of the ways that we could love each other is in off times intensify certain kinds of music in another setting. Not to then excuse its non-inclusion in our time together, but to add to it, to kind of give us a little bit of a fill up, help us. So the, 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 the test in the pudding is that we do see hymns and hymns done in their old way as part of our mix on Sunday mornings, which will be the case. Even as we struggle and we want to, we talk about this idea of welcoming the younger generation into our worship. They have a place. They definitely have a place. It was funny. It was in our 
7.45, 8 o'clock service this morning, it was a high schooler who said, about that hymn thing, uh, I love the hymn Amazing Grace. And I noticed that we always sing the Chris Tomlin version, which has that, my chains are gone. And we never just sing it the old way. This was like a 17-year-old raising his hand said, I'd like to hear it the old way. I said, thank you. Isn't that kind of cool? But that came from a 17-year-old this morning. Gary, so I hope that's helpful. It's not meant to be like a replacement. It's to be an addition. Because we can only do so much on a Sunday morning. Hi, I'm Jack. Um, two, two worship services came that come to mind where I felt that amazing connection with multicultural uh, worship experiences. And one was... Contra Nuevo did a joint worship service here. I thought it was so rich. It was so amazing hearing this a different way of worship, and, and we were trying our best. <laughs> and Contra Nuevo um, was a, a Hispanic church that met here for about 12 years. And then the other time that comes to mind was there was a, uh, one of our missionaries visiting uh, from someplace in the Pacific Islands and brought some kids with him, Maybe and he warned us. Now, they're gonna sound with, it's going to sound like they're a war cry, but this, it was a way of worshiping using the traditional indigenous war cries, but mm. turning it to, to God. So I would love to see us do intersperse some of that because it's so rich. When we get to heaven, you know, I think one of the beauties of heaven, I ask, I ask, ask what language are we going to speak in heaven? That's a great question. And here's my theory. I think we're going to speak all of them. The only thing is we're going to be able to understand finally all of them. So there's no one better cultural expression of praise. There are amazing gifts given through all the cultures of the world. We're just limited by our access to them. So, Jack, thank you. I love that. Betty, did you, did you want to say something? Hold, wait for that little mic. Well, that's, that's okay. That's okay. No, for quite a while I have... Okay. I, for quite a while, I have, this is kind of off the subject, but on it. Uh, I've wanted to hear at least a couple songs from the old uh, Gaither songs. The old Gaither songs. Now, I know that, that, that a lot of people were not in that era of the 70s and 80s and, and had such gorgeous music. They are on television now. But anyway, it's, it's marvelous. It's just like you say, it just pulls your hand, heartstrings. Because, Jesus, yeah, any of Jesus, them. Jesus, there's just something about that name. Let's keep going. Jesus, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance, like the fragrance after the rain Jesus 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 let all heaven let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms kings and kings will all pass away will all pass away but there's something up. Amen. Wow.
was beautiful. Martha here. Tyler. Hi, I'm Tyler. Um, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> I don't know that song. But it was clearly a heartstring moment for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. And you're teaching me what your heartstrings are. And I wanted to make sure that we're listening to the youth especially, too, about what are their heart songs. Heart strings, right? I grew up in a church that had some nasty worship wars. Yeah. And it was really ugly. Um, and it was everybody wanting to say, this is a song that's for me. This is why this song is important to me. And when I hear people singing a song that's really important to them, I can say, I don't know what's happening, but this is beautiful, and they're connecting to God, and maybe I can learn to do that too through this song. And hopefully we can learn to do that with the songs that the youth are singing too. Absolutely, Tyler. I love what he said. Look at what happens. The devil gets into the very center of the engine of the church, the worship, and divides it through this. How do we preempt that? We love each other first. The way that we love each other means people don't have to, it erases that kind of, that mechanism to defend and hold up, I need my thing. If the culture is, hey, what is your heart song? I'd like to learn about that. Tyler, thank you for that. Let me just check the time. Maybe a couple more comments. I think Martha's just go over here to the, to the less left. Uh, my name is Martha Strisco. Um, I worship God through music. I love all kinds of music. There isn't anything that I don't love. Love that. But I am very um, happy that my children grew up in the time when they still sang hymns in church. And some of my grandchildren, too, depending on where they were going to worship. But I also have some, some praise songs that I love, too. Um, the, I think the thing about the hymns, it, for me, is remembering back as mm-hmm. a child. Yeah. Um, and also, um, the rich um, scripture you hear in the hymn songs, as composed to, to the praise songs, seems not to be as rich to me personally. But um, I can't be in a place where there isn't music. (laughs) And anymore, it's hard to make generalizations because there's so much out there and there are certainly shallow songs and there are some amazing songs being written. There's a new song out there. It's hard to sing in in a group. It's called uh, 10 Billion... No, no, not that one. That 10 Billion one. It's So I Will, it's called. Hard to sing beautifully written. Have you ever had a chance to hear that? But thank you, Martha, for your word. And um, um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to practice. We're going to do the things that we've been talking about. We're going to close with a song. We're going to go back to the revelation language of holy, holy, holy. We're going to sing revelation song as as a chance to glorify God with one voice as we close today. Let me invite you to stand. And Lord Jesus, as we sing this final song today, I would pray that you would inhabit our praise, hear us, help us to speak to our own souls. Help the watching powers in the heavenly places to tremble at this truth that you are holy, that you are good, that we are your people, and that we stand to glorify you in this place.